Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another really live edition of Green Rush. That would be the industry's business cannabis talk show that we run every Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern here on Pro Cannabis Media. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and I'm so happy to have a couple of guest hosts and a great guest already in the room with us. You know, a lot of times I have to fill for a few minutes until our guests arrive. This particular guest, however, was on time, ready to rock. And we have a great guest and we have two great guest hosts. Doug Miller is with me. Josh Kincaid is with me. And most importantly, the CEO of Tilt Holdings, Gary Santo, is with us all. Gary, thank you so much for joining us here on Friday. Pleasure to be here, Jimmy. So when's the Safe Banking Act going to pass? <laughs> Uh, about five minutes. No, I think you know, today getting the president to sign into law, you know, the, the medical marijuana research bill, I think was a great first step. Uh, I think certainly the market reacted positively to that. But I feel like somewhere between now and the end of the lame duck session, they've kind of painted, they've painted themselves into a corner. You know, I think Schumer coming out, you know, ahead of the election talking about we're going to get this done during lame duck. I think he was doing that with the assumption he would not have control of the Senate and he actually retained control of the Senate. So if they don't get it done now, I don't know when they're going to get it done. I just hope they don't try to make it too perfect uh, and just get something done and realize we can do this iteratively. Yeah, got it. Hey, um, Josh and, and Doug, rather than me calling on you, if you want to jump in and ask any questions of Gary, uh, please do. Because, you know, as the, as, as the head of an MSO in the United States of America, uh, the, they get a lot of attention in the cannabis industry, let's just say it. And I actually think that it's been worth it to have MSOs involved with a new industry because strength is power. Money dictates a lot of things in politics and in Washington, D.C., and a new industry, a controversial industry like, like cannabis, has needed these MSOs to get us to where we are, where we actually had the president of the United States use the wrong word. He said marijuana instead of cannabis, but that's okay. You know, we'll work on that. Right. But I got to live to hear this, the, the, the president actually say that, you know, I was I was like, oh, my God, I, I almost died and went to heaven. Um, uh, go ahead, Josh. I know you're always rocking, always ready to ask a question. Go ahead. Well, I, I guess, Gary, I got to ask you, like, what's your sentiment on um, some of the debt right now? So we've seen both in Canada, top six MSOs, uh, oh, 73 million in, you know, USD, uh, to the, to their, to the government and same thing, top 10 MSOs, uh, in the USO half a billion dollars, $500 million. Um, is, is that a result, you know, wondering what your sentiment is wondering what the result is, uh, you know, is that high taxes? Is that just, um, you know, inability to pay like What's your take? The amount, the amount you quoted for the US MSOs, that's that's just that's not the debt load they're carrying. That's the amount they owe in taxes or right. Okay. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting, you talk about having operators, talk about MSOs uh, in general. And it's funny how many of these companies were started by folks who either did not build a team or had the skill set really to build an operating company. If you think about what cannabis companies are. This isn't like the tech boom where dot-com was a new concept to people or crypto, which is probably a bad example to give right now, but where it's a new and different concept. This was taking three very complex industries that already existed, agriculture, specialty manufacturing, and specialty retail, and putting them all together. And then in the case of the U.S. operators, having no consistency of the regulation. So all the things you would normally do when creating those companies 
terms of centralizing and hub and spoke supply chain management, you couldn't do. Um, so a very complex for the, for the seasoned professionals who would come out of those types of operations. So I think when people got into here, they didn't have the controls in place. It's not clear to me why folks weren't paying taxes on time. Um, other than the fact that in a number of cases, a lot of these companies, no matter how high their revenue base, they're still burning cash. They still have been tipped over to the positive EBITDA side of things, which begs the question, where is your crossover point where you get to scale? You know, we've been lucky at Tilt. I think we've had a second act. You know, we went public in late 2018, early 2019, uh, pretty much went through all the cash that was raised, the minimal cash that was raised through the reverse takeover, um, but really had to hit the reboot button. We had a board that was willing to let us do that and replace the management team and really started to bootstrap the company and learn to live on cash flow from operations. And since 2019, that's all we've lived on. Uh, so we pay our taxes, we pay our bills. Um, don't always pay them exactly on time when we should. Might be a, a month late here, a month late there. But I think there it's just responsible growth. And when you look at how fast so many of these companies exploded and the deals they were doing, and think about 2019, there were deals being done all the time at outrageous valuations, cash flying all over the place. And then the assumption that they could always go back to the market and get some more. Uh, so I, I do think some of it speaks to the operating health or, or lack thereof in some of these companies. Gary, you mentioned the, the markets. Uh, Doug Miller keeps an eye on those markets on an almost hourly basis. He, he's also with us. Um, Doug, I did not check the ticker or check the markets uh, today. So uh, can you give us a little bit of what effect it might have had? And then you, of course, can ask uh, Gary anything you want. Sure. Uh, Tilray went up. Uh, Tilray was looking great, actually, today. I was actually looking at Tilt today, and uh, you guys, the, the chart was definitely reversing up. So I uh, I was looking at being an investor real quick. So <laughs> I, I know that one. That, a lot of them were curling off the bottom, which they just been dipping and dipping and dipping. The, and I don't like to take political sides but the administration yeah they want to pass through things like you were just saying they they have the court the ball in their court right now and they've just been stalling on everything that they've said that they were going to do whether it's with cannabis or economically anything and uh so it just worries me when they do say hey you know we're able to do this are they really going to do it because they haven't really put much forward towards anything yet so it just it it worries me about that i i think though they might because you know this would be the second election cycle where cannabis gets thrown out there right before the election and if nothing happens while you still have control of the senate let alone the lame duck session then you really have to start to question the motivations because when you have over 70 percent of the population agreeing on something i mean 50 51 is considered a landslide in the presidential election to get 71% of Americans to agree on just about anything is pretty remarkable. So at one point, does the government that's supposed to be representative start representing the people uh, they're down in Washington, you know, there for? So uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think at MJ Biz, I might have said about 75% chance I'm going to stick to that. Uh, might be a little bit higher, but I just I feel like this one they're not going to be able. It might not look great. It might not be everything we all want, but it's a start. And it's going to take a while to implement. I mean, I came out of finance. I lived through Dodd-Frank and how long it took for that to be implemented. And it didn't change the financial industry overnight. But just the fact that it's starting will relieve, I think, a lot of pressure that we're seeing across the industry. And I have to agree. I, I think they'll, they'll push one initiative through 
And generally, with all the cannabis legislature, they write the legislature, they write the uh, laws, and then they seem to wait three years to pass things through, and they seem to just get very dated. And uh, by the time, and I know I, I live in New Jersey, it's happened here multiple times, they just, they'll write the regs and then wait a few years, and then they'll use them regs from three years ago, which are completely outdated and they're not helping anybody. So, um, I had, like, like you said, I, I agree 75% chance. They're definitely going to try to take some kind of initiative to do something. The ball's been in their court for too long. And, and like you said, the, the popular vote is there. So, uh, but are they going to screw it up? And, uh, that's what, um, that's what I want to say. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you think I, again, my feeling is, you know, this is cannabis time, right? Everything takes longer in this industry. It's like one step forward, two steps backward, right? I mean, we've all been there. We've certainly been documenting it and 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 watching it all happen. Is it a strategy? Is it a conscious strategy of our government to start uh, to slow the growth of the cannabis industry, Gary? I don't know that anything the government does these days is conscious. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's the land of unintended consequences. And you know, I look at what's happening even in the state governments. Look at New York; they want to get it right so bad that they are going out of their way to get it wrong. Uh, you know, and I think it's just one of those things where if you try to legislate perfection, right? It, it's taken us a hundred years to screw up cannabis, right? Between the prohibition and the way the laws weren't being applied. Now you come a boomerang where now regulations aren't even being enforced in certain states. I think about New York and the bodegas and everything. While they're trying to then crop up all these social equity applicants and have them open legal businesses, while people are selling cannabis illegally in the state, and they won't prosecute against that. So they can't get out of their own way. I think what they really need to understand is to overcome 100 years of bad behavior, we're going to have to do this incrementally and start somewhere. And we're not going to get it right. We're going to start it. We're going to have to refine it. We're going to have to get better. And that's pretty much what every law has ever come about in the U.S. I don't know too many laws that got it out of the gates, you know, the first time. There's a happy medium there somewhere because in Washington, we've got a class C felony on maintaining and operating a cannabis lounge. It's been seven years. So I just thought like, oh yeah, you made a mistake. You're going to, you know, redo that or, you know, change, overturn the law and change it. And eventually it, nothing happened. So um, yep. there, there's got to yep. be a happy medium there somewhere where eventually the, the, the changes can happen at a faster pace and we don't have to wait as long, but. I mean, I am concerned with 280E in the sense that if they fix it, the revenue goes down for the government. So what is their incentive to fix 280E right now? Suddenly we could actually have rational deductions, you know, in terms of what we can pay taxes on. So I do sometimes wonder if there are some other pieces, which again, then don't fix, I, I want it fixed, don't get me wrong. But if that's your biggest worry, then do something there separately. But let's get reasonable access to banking. Let's start to get rational investing back in here. Let's get the ability for people. I mean, I my own board members want to buy stock at times. And because they don't carry Canadian brokerage accounts, they struggle to go and buy the stocks because sometimes their own brokerage accounts won't let them buy off the OTC. So it's it's kind of a strange universe that, that we live in. I mean, you take all those things I talked about earlier the difficulties associated with each of those individual industries that we've all moshed together. And then add to that, let's go trade on, you know, the nascent exchanges up in Canada and let's see how it works out. So it's, it's for those of us that make it through, I'll begin to think that we're like the cockroaches of the universe. You can't kill us. Yeah. You, can try, you cannot kill us. So what do you it's think, kind of fun to be here. 
What do you think is going to be the, the one thing that's going to allow Tilt in order to trade independently of the news? I've been kind of taking a survey, asking a lot of CEOs, same question. Um, I asked Morgan Paxia, um, a Poseidon, he's got an ETF that he launched. And it's like, if you look at it, this isn't financial advice, but if you look at it, it looks like it would be fair value because it's it trades so low. It seems like cannabis stocks only trade with the news. They don't trade independently of their own financials. You know, I'm not talking about just not even fundamentals, but even technicals. So what is it going to take in order for that breakout to occur? I think we need to get the right investors married up. This is a high growth industry, right? It's an emerging high growth industry. It got out of the gates in a way that very few emerging industries other than maybe dot-com really did, right? You had all this money pouring in before people really knew what was going to be happening with that money, what growth was going to look like. And because you could not trade on the big boards and bring in the institutional investors, you ended up with a mismatch, right? You never want to use short-term money to finance long-term debt, but you have retail investors financing high growth. And a retail investor doesn't have a three to five year horizon. And they're not looking for companies to reinvest in themselves. They're looking in 12 month increments on what their return is. They're day trading. So I think part of it is getting the institutional investors into the space because they are the ones most likely to be the ones to take a look at the underlying fundamentals and say, okay, this makes sense. I understand why they're doing this at this point. It's not top line revenue growth at any cost. And I think that's the piece, the biggest piece that is, that is really holding back uh, companies from trading. So I watched a couple of earnings cycles now, and you know the last couple have been tough. But honestly, the dislocation was there even before. We saw companies putting up good numbers back in the beginning of the year and still trading down, which made no sense whatsoever. And the reason was, well, we thought that legalization was going to occur sooner and it didn't, or safe banking was going to happen and it didn't. And if that's the catalyst and putting up a good quarter isn't, then we've got to fix the investor base somehow. And and I can just uh, say something you were talking about the day trading and there are so many cannabis companies that are in the penny stocks that they say and um, and a lot of them go under so fast and a lot of them, I mean, till obviously you have a lot of things going on, you're legitimate, a lot of them have zero going on. And they are just pump and dump type stocks. And I think a lot of people kind of got burnt by a lot of the cannabis stocks. And yeah. I know a lot of people that have. And uh, and like I always tell people, you got to do your due diligence and you really got to look into these companies and pay attention to what's going on because they can go up and down so fast. But like you were saying, the day traders, I think as the as the market grows and if they can get it federally legal with the banking institutions behind it, that's when you'll start to see the catalyst change between, hey, you know, the state might go legal. So now all of a sudden, all the cannabis stocks go up, as opposed to, like you said, my earnings were great. Our company's good. Our stock, our earning, our, our stock value should be going up. And a lot of them don't. They just move, like you said, Josh, with the news of the entire market. And it it hurts the whole entire industry. It really does. Yep. So. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, uh, Gary, as a CEO of an MSO, you know, you guys are great targets in this industry. Everybody knocks the MSOs. You know, it's, it's an easy thing. It's like the Yankees. The, the Yankees used to be and all the Boston sports teams are now. Okay, I covered my ass. <laughs> I covered my ass. I covered good, my good recovery. Ass. Good recovery. <laughs> Uh, but you guys are also recognizing the importance of giving those who have been most impacted by the failed war on drugs an opportunity. 
to get into it, allowing funds and programs. And you guys are involved with the Shinnecock Indians in Long Island, aren't you, in some way? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, when it comes to the duty of an MSO, you know, if you're creating an emerging market, you got to think more broadly than just your own balance sheet and your own P&L sometimes, because, you know, you can't be a standalone. And this, there's no real IP in cannabis, right? So I'm not going to create some molecule like you might in life sciences, which was my prior stop before here. And I'm going to own this, this particular molecule for the next 10 years and no one else can make it. So I'm all about me. You really can't be that in cannabis. I think we have to do a better job working together to create the ecosystem. Uh, and when it comes to those impacted in Shinnecock in specific, I think there are folks there, if, if we can't access money or what we're able to access, right? millions of dollars we spend and the thing, the learning exercises we've had to go through building a company, well, then you turn to someone like the Shindikark or any of the other social equity applicants out there who have even less access to capital, but all the same challenges the rest of us have, just getting them a license isn't good enough anymore. I know it makes everybody feel good and let's donate some money to the last prisoner project. And those are all good and worthwhile exercises. But if all I'm going to do is hand a license to somebody in an incredibly complex market, and it's hard enough to start a business in the United States on top of that and just throw them in the deep end of the pool with maybe a few dollars and say, good luck. Then I'm just creating a case study for why this failed and what we need to do differently. I think we have to be willing to take risk. And with the case of the Shinnecock, that's exactly what we're doing. We've agreed to fund up to 18 million uh, to build out a facility. We know that right now there's a tremendous groundswell of support and certainly the work the Shinnecock have done since probably, what, 2015 in looking and researching and creating a cannabis program on their sovereign land and suggest they're serious about it. They're not just trying to ride the green wave. They want to build a true economic engine. They don't have casinos out there in Southampton. So for them, this is that moment to create jobs, to create revenue, and to create an ecosystem. Uh, and they just needed a partner. And you know, I think the problem is most MSOs would look at that and say, well, it's on sovereign land, so I can't own it. I'm not interested, but I'll be there for you once you're all set up and running. Well, we're going to be there ahead of time. And if we do our job right, we'll continue to be a partner with them for years to come, our contracts for nine years. We will not only build out the facility, we will train uh, the Shinnecock on how to run it. So we'll start with us probably in some of the more senior positions trying to help run and educate. But we fully expect before that contract's out to have Shinnecock managing that facility. I mean, the general manager, Sinead Bullock, she's Shinnecock born and raised. So she will be managing that. They will own the property. There's no call option that for us that we're going to suddenly own something two or three years down the road and when i look to you know doug you talk about new jersey when i look to new jersey and some of the social equity licenses there we're getting questions all the time about hey i'm a social equity i'm a license holder i just need to hold it for a certain period of time and we can do the 5149 and you can buy me out in two years that's not social equity that's that's just kind of transfer of wealth for you know a few people you know we're trying to build something more long range because Look, I think there's enough money in this for all of us. We don't need to be greedy, right? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And I think there's been some hoggish behavior, uh, you know, over the years. I, I 100% agree. Sorry, Jimmy, to cut you off, but I no, always- No, 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 I, I just, yeah. I think it's funny. I, I, I love what you say when uh, greedy, power, greed, and money have corrupted a lot of institutions in our world over the years. And I really hope that this one isn't going to go the same way. And I do think it's people like you and shows like this that are open and can talk about these things. That's what we're working towards, not legalization, normalization. 
That's what this industry has to focus on. Not legalization, normalization. Educating those out there that might be curious who want to learn about what the history of this plant is and the role that it's played, not just to the uh, indig indigenous people, the Native Americans, but also, you know, black people were, were arrested three and a half more times than white people, and we use it the same. It has been filled with injustice, and I'd really like to see that change. Are you confident that the industry is, is working together enough on this, Gary? I think the building blocks are there. Uh, certainly, I've seen more of a groundswell of support. Uh, in the beginning, I think there was probably a little too much lip service. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of companies talking about working to help expunge people's records and, and trying to lean into last prisoner project. But then if you took a look at their payroll, how many people did they hire that had nonviolent cannabis offenses? And you'd find out that no one, you know, in the very beginning, very few people were hired for that way. I think more and more now uh, the light's being shown and we have some really strong social equity folks stepping forward who are looking to actually create businesses, right? Not just trade on being a social equity applicant. I think that's what's key. Uh, I think we've been very fortunate with the brand partners that we have uh, that we've come across female-owned, female-run businesses. We've come across uh, minority-owned businesses, you know, folks who have a dynamic story, a great architecture, and they want to be in this for the long haul. So, uh, you know, as I've met people along the way, certainly with what we've done, we have a lot of folks come up to us and say, how can we get involved? How can how can we, you know, be on your short list of people to partner with? And the first question I always ask is, well, what do you want to do, right? If you have a brand and you're telling me you're a social equity applicant, what's the hook on your brand? What do you want to be? And for those that just there, sit there and say, well, I want to be everything. It's like, okay, well, that's not going to work. Uh, you know, tell me what it is that makes you different. Now, maybe it is your social equity applicant. Okay, it's worth having a conversation, but you've got to have the same business acumen. And I think, you know, the more of us that can step forward and try to provide that, uh, you know, I think in the early days of Tilt, we were doing career fairs where we taught people how to turn a passion for the plant into a career, how to interview, how to fill out job applications, uh, you know, how to write a resume, things like that. So uh, I feel like there's more and more groundswell. I feel like it's turning into more than just the show pieces and people writing checks. Uh, I think the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see how many people step forward and take real risk. Uh, I think we're probably a little bit out in front on that one. I uh, was pleasantly surprised when I pitched the idea to our board and they said, sure, it's okay, let's put it at risk. And we're certainly not swimming in cash that $18 million doesn't mean anything to us. Um, but that's what I think that's what it's going to take. Hey, Gary, with your tribal partnership, did you ever have any unique product offering conversations around blunts or or anything that they're able to offer that the other markets can't? We didn't get to that level because what I didn't want to end up with was a situation where it only worked on sovereign land, right? Because I think one of the things that made the Shinnecock unique was they took a look at the New York state regulations and they see the wholesale play. And certainly if you take a look at the way the regs are, are playing out in New York state, it's going to be a wholesale play. You know, you take a look at the adult use and, and how they're trying to keep the affiliation with large MSOs off the table. Well, how are those people going to get product if they're not affiliated wholesale? So, you know, they always wanted to make sure that their regs, while they could do whatever they want on their sovereign land, they tried to mimic New York state regs where possible. We haven't really gotten into the individual items. We've been working with their cannabis control commission that they have there uh, to try to help them understand how they might want to write some of the licensing and the regs, borrowing from our Massachusetts and Pennsylvania and Ohio experiences. Um, and, you know, we haven't really gotten to the product level yet, um, but, you know, I think it, it's a matter of time before we get to that level. Um, you know, but I think there, 
there, there's a desire to make sure you don't just do something that can only be done on sovereign land because as great as that might be, you're talking about one or two stores. And Vegas seems to be getting away with it with their lounge at Nubu. They've got a <laughs> cannabis lounge that they were able to open up before. But I'm wondering yeah. if if what you're seeing out in the markets with some of the consolidation distressed markets, if that's creating an opportunity internationally or or domestically. Ooh, a couple of questions there. Uh, look, there are opportunities with consolidation in general. You know, we talked, you know, I mentioned a little earlier, there's some companies out there that shouldn't be publicly traded companies. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's not a reason for their business to have existed in the first place. So I think there's some opportunities there uh, for some of the smaller players to really come together. Internationally, uh, I do think that uh, our friends across the sea are learning much better. Uh, if you take a look, Canada kind of started the wave and, and they got some things right and more things wrong. We certainly learned from that. And we're still working through our pile of what's right and what's wrong. But it feels like, you know, over in the EU, Germany is, is stepping forward as a leader there. Um, you know, I think the medical play is what's going to make that one a little bit more interesting, um, you know, and how that all pans out. But there are definitely opportunities in Europe. I think there was a point where it seemed like it was too far away that we still had to get our U.S. house in order. It feels like that's starting to pick up steam. And if you think about it, each successive cannabis market has come along faster than the one that preceded it, right? So I think Canada took a while, US sort of accelerated. If it wasn't for our government holding us back, we would have been light years ahead. And now I think what we're seeing overseas is they're starting to move even faster. Are you guys getting a fair shake in the media? Us personally? Yeah, and in, in the industry in general. You know, I think, I think us, I have no complaints with how we're covered. You know, I think, you know, till, till like I said, had the second act. You know, there, there were some skeletons in that closet from 2018, 2019. Um, you know, some moments where the company didn't shroud itself in glory. Uh, I think there, we've got so many people on our team. So I have kind of an IR background, you know, capital markets and IR. We have so many people on our staff who have done some form of IR and communications that we felt the best strategy is be transparent and be honest. Uh, don't sit there and say how everything's great. Uh, if there's really a problem, just acknowledge the problem, the source of the problem, and what you're going to do to fix it, and then make sure you follow through on it. And I think since we really announced our new strategy, uh, it's been somewhat cautious optimism. Like, what are these guys talking about? CPG in this space, they don't know what they're doing. And little by little, now you see how many people are talking about CPG and talking about brands and all of that. So I feel comfortable with how we've been treated. The industry, you know, I think it's funny. Uh, you know, there's some folks who always just want to go out of their way to tell you how bad marijuana is, you know, and you'll always find a study and you can always figure out a way to use data to prove a point, no matter which side of the argument you're on. Um, you know, I think there it's getting harder and harder for people to ignore the fact that outside of the recreation, pure recreational use, there are medicinal aspects. There are pieces to cannabis in general that it allows it to be a part of your everyday life without it being so episodic. I've never heard anybody say, man, my elbow hurts. I need two shots of Jack and I'll feel better. You know, but I will go out and get a CBD cream or a THC cream and I'll put that on there and suddenly I do feel better. Uh, I think it's being taken more seriously. There's still some folks who I think are knuckleheads out there and how they cover it, but it feels like it's getting more and more mainstream. And I've said before, if you discovered this plant today, you'd have three aisles in Whole Foods dedicated to it in some way, shape, or form. Right. I agree 100% with you, Gary. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, I'd love to talk more with you, but we have another CEO uh, waiting in the uh, green room, as I, get, I guess they say. Uh, that's Sunday Seafried from Safe Harbor Financial. Uh, I, I bet you know her. I'm just going to go on the limb. 
Have you ever met her? You've met her. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I may have heard of her. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> you can't say anything in this industry. It's not like, oh my God, they're doing work with them. It's like, oh, good Lord. You yeah. know? I like I like a lot of the things that you had to say, and I'm I'm feeling far more encouraged about it now uh, than before. And I look forward to a a good relationship with you guys. I mean, you Tilt Holdings was the sponsor of New England Cannabis Convention in 2019 at the Heinz Auditorium in Boston. By any chance, were you there? Uh, I was not. So let's see. I entered. I was probably at Columbia Care at that time. So that's how I got into cannabis originally. I joined Columbia hey, Care. They were there too. That being said, uh, <laughs> we live streamed three days from the floor of that convention. And that was kind of our coming out party into the industry. Uh, in fact, we were named another company. We're Cannabis Multimedia Network, which is way too long for a URL. So uh, Jason Wolf, who used to be the program director of WEEI, went to BU, yeah. WEEI, right? Uh, he named us pro cannabis media and we've kept that ever since uh the spring of 2019 and and here we, we we've survived now now we're waiting to thrive gary um <laughs> so i'm going to take a lot of the things you said to heart and uh, and implement as many as we possibly can but we're going to take a break because we are a little late we usually break at 4 20 for obvious reasons um we usually play shanty by jonathan edwards have you ever heard that song by any chance does that ring a bell at all because he was big in Jonathan Edwards was a New Hampshire, you know. Yes, uh, Jonathan Edwards, sure. And I'm trying to remember doing think, Jonathan Edwards and, and he used to play the Paradise all the time. Right. Well, and I think I saw him in concert at Walter Brown uh, at the gym at BU in the in the uh, in the late 70s, probably at when I was a tough. So just saying it's one of my favorite songs, and it is our version of the Waldos who created <laughs> 420. And that's why we play it. So, uh, Gary Santo, thank you so much for taking the time on a Friday afternoon to join us. I look forward to talking with you in the future. And we're going to continue with more business of cannabis talk after this. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. And check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.